The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Our special guest speaker, but he's not really a guest, uh, Dr. Barrett Duke and his wife, Denise. Denise, wave at everybody. She's right over here on my left, on your right. Um, they are members of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Now, you might not see them very much, although this is the group that might, because this is the service they attend when they're in town, usually sit right back over here. Um, but uh, Dr. Duke is the executive director for the work of Southern Baptist all over the state of Montana. There's about 140 churches and church-type missions that cooperate together to reach Montana for Christ. And he's the one who casts our vision and brings us together and helps us accomplish that work. And so uh, we are happy to have Barrett and Denise as part of our church family. Next Sunday, there'll be a ballot vote. There'll be several things for you to vote on. But one of the things that we're going to ask you to vote on is uh, if whether or not we will affirm Dr. Duke as one of our elders. Back in May, when you had a chance to nominate deacons and elders, you nominated by a large uh, percentage, uh, more than anybody else, that Dr. Barrett Duke join our elders in working with me, the lead pastor, in terms of my accountability, and in terms of uh, just counsel and wisdom, spiritual maturity, and so we're excited about that. So this morning, I don't want you to listen like he's, uh, I don't want this to be like an interview, like you're listening to see if he should be an elder, but I want you to listen to see if God doesn't have a word for you. There's some more things there in the bulletin, kind of outlines his life, a bit of a bio sketch. But the thing I want to say to you is this brother in Christ has become a dear, dear friend to me. So welcome, Dr. Barrett Duke. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Paul. Appreciate it. Yes, I am glad to be with you today. We're so glad to be at Emmanuel Baptist Church. <clears throat> you know, when, um, when you go to a new uh, town, you get that, that opportunity to find a new church. And the challenge for us, of course, for Denise and me, was figuring out which church the Lord wanted us to be a part of. We have many very fine, great Southern Baptist churches in Billings, and uh, so we visited around all of them and uh, came to Emmanuel. And um, a couple of things, well, a number of things really impressed us here. We were impressed by the people, just the loving, open, very gracious people, uh, people walking in the Lord. We loved that. We loved our pastor. We loved uh, uh, Pastor Paul. Um, I felt like there was somebody that if I were sick and in the hospital, I'd be happy to have Pastor Paul, come visit me. I've always tried to find a church where uh, I felt like the pastor was more spiritual than me. Now, Denise would say that's not too hard, but, you know, I'd like to think that I'm a spiritual man, but I always want to make sure that the pastor is more spiritual than I am. And we found that in Pastor Paul and the staff here. And um, another was, I wanted to be at a church that reminded me of what could be for Southern Baptists throughout Montana, not just what is for Southern Baptists throughout Montana. And this church reminds me, every time I come here, of what could be for our churches. And I come here, I experience this, I worship with you, and then I take this across the state and share with our other churches across the state 
what God is doing here and give them ideas about what God could be doing there as well. So uh, we love being here. I love being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church and um, love what, um, what is happening right now in this church as well. No, uh, uh, the pastor is about ready to uh, share some new um, ideas with us. He's, the Lord has really, I believe, put a, a, a fresh vision in his heart for what he wants to do uh, and he wants God uh, to do here at our church, and we're looking forward to that. Of all of that I think he has in mind for us, um, that thing that I feel um, I most resonate with is that he plans to align us as a church with God's priorities. He plans to bring us in line with what God knows we need to be doing above everything else. Now, there are a lot of things that a church can do, right? A lot of people have ideas for what the church can be doing. I remember uh, Denise and I started a church. Uh, We planted a church in Denver in the 80s and pastored there for a little over a dozen years. And and as we went through that time in the church, we had many people come through with many different ideas about what we ought to be about, how we ought to order our priorities. We always had to kind of go through that conversation with, with them about what was the most important thing we should be doing as a church. I believe of all the things that God's people should be doing, the thing that they need to make their number one priority is sharing the gospel, winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. That is our most important task. There are other organizations that are tasked with doing some of the other work that we do, and we should be doing it. I believe we can and we should walk and chew gum at the same time. But if you're not going to do everything you could do, and you're going to have to say to yourself, there are some things that we have to put further down on the priority list, we should never be moving evangelism down from that top place because no one else, no other organization has that task assigned to them. That's the church's unique mission is to share the gospel, to win people to faith in Jesus, to make disciples. We need to always make sure that is our number one task. And yet at the same time, it's the hardest, right? People are the most resistant out of all the things that we could be doing All the things that we do, people are the most resistant to us talking to them about the Lord. They're happy to help have us help meet with different human needs. They're happy to help us uh, meet with um, job training and things like that. They're happy to help us be involved in the needs that the city has. But they struggle the most when we tell them that they are separated from God by their sin and that only through faith in Jesus Christ can they come to peace with God. And yet that's what they need the most. People don't want to be told that. And I get it. I mean, we're in Montana, right? You don't tell Montanans anything. They don't want to be told anything. I mean, Montanans don't even want to be told when they have to stop their cars. We got these roundabouts, you know, so that you just kind of show up and you decide when you're going to go next. 
I mean, I was shocked the first time I, I came here. I came to preach here in 2011, I think it was, and it was up in uh, Helena. I'm driving around in the neighborhoods. We have, we have neighborhoods here that don't have stop signs at the intersections. How do you do that? Everybody just kind of shows up in the intersection, and I guess you, it's whoever catches the other guy's eye, right? You look the guy in the eye, and you decide you know, who goes next. We just don't want to be told what to do. It's the same thing with the gospel. And yet, that's the one thing people can't help themselves with. There are self-made millionaires. There are people who have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. Everything that they have, they did for themselves. But that's one thing they cannot do for themselves. There may be self-made millionaires. There are no self-made Christians. Every person must be told. And for some strange reason, God has entered into a partnership with us to tell them. Now, that's really strange because, generally speaking, we're just not very good at that thing, right? We're just not real comfortable with talking to people about their need for Christ. We want to be liked. Generally speaking, most of us want to be liked, and we know that that drives wedges between us and people, and so oftentimes we just keep our mouths shut. And if I were to ask for a show of hands in this room today, How many of you were saved the first time you heard the gospel? Not very many hands would go up. Almost all of us had to hear more than once. Chances are you heard many times before the truth of God's word, the truth of salvation met with the conviction of the spirit and everything was there at that moment and you were saved. See, we have to tell people, and we have to tell them, and we have to tell them, and we have to tell them again. The Apostle Paul understood this. You know, Paul understood it, and Paul applied that in his own life. I think we could learn something from him. There's this uh, little short statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, where Paul uh, really makes this clear. There's these Christians in Corinth, and they're all kind of divided up into their little tribes, and Uh, They're all in their moments of hero worship, and they're all following different leaders in their church. And some people are saying, Paul's my great spiritual hero. Others are saying, Apollos is my great spiritual hero. They've all got these spiritual heroes as though, you know, this guy is the most important of all the people in the church. And Paul makes this statement to them as he's trying to help them understand how we all fit together in God's plan. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. Now that should grab our attention right there, right? We are servants through whom you believed. They shared God's message. And through that sharing, these people were saved even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. You hear the partnership there? Somebody comes along and they plant that seed of the gospel. Maybe a couple of people plant that seed of the gospel. Somebody else comes along and they water that seed of the gospel. 
Maybe several people do that. And then eventually somebody comes along and they share it again and the Spirit of God comes down with the conviction of the Spirit. The truth is there and it all comes together and they're saved, just like you. This is a partnership that God has called us into that we cannot ignore. And if we as God's people don't engage and enter into that partnership with him, we will not see the people saved that could be saved, even in this city. We are actually a crucial part of what God wants to get done. Now, there's a, there's a passage in 2 Kings of all places that really illustrates this uh, for me um, in just really stark terms. And that's where I want us to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. You can't read 2 Kings chapter 5 and the story about this man named Naaman without hearing what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. Some plant, some water, then God gives the increase. So look with me here in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was captain of the army of the king of Aram. Aram is basically, was basically where modern-day Syria is. There's always been enmity between the people in this area and Israel. It's there today, Syria and Israel. It was there then, Aram and Israel. It's just been part of the geography. Naaman is captain of the army of the king of Aram. Notice how it describes him. He's a great man with his master, highly respected because the Lord had given uh, victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior. And isn't this the, just the, the, a great illustration of a self-made man? A man who has reached the pinnacle of his profession? Probably everybody who saw uh, Naaman probably celebrated him. They probably shouted out, Naaman, so glad to see you. Thank you for all that you do. I mean, a, a general who was successful in this day is the man who kept the marauding armies from invading your city, who kept the enemy from coming in and stealing everything that you had. This guy was perhaps the most important person in the entire country. People celebrated him, no doubt. And he probably enjoyed all of that celebration. It probably really filled him with pride and, and just a sense of accomplishment. And yet, notice how that verse ends, verse 1. He was a leper. It's like the, the best and the worst that you could possibly have. He has all of these accolades, and yet he's a leper. That's about the worst thing that you could have in this day. People thought leprosy was contagious. They didn't want to get around you. They didn't want to breathe the same air you breathe. They certainly didn't want to shake your hand. As Naaman would go walking down the street, the people would shout out, Naaman, we're so glad to see you. Thank you for all that you're doing. But they did it from the other side of the street. And Naaman, as he would walk down the street, he may very well have had to say, stay away, stay away, I'm a leper, I'm a leper. The contrasts here are just so clear. 
And yet, in many ways, Naaman illustrates for us exactly where people are in our world today. They celebrate all their accomplishments, right? They check their bank accounts regularly. The number keeps going up. They're counting their promotions. They're constantly getting promoted uh, into uh, higher and higher levels in the organization. The barns are full, plenty of cattle. Everything's really great. They measure themselves by all these standards, and yet they also know something's still missing. The thing that they want most is missing, and that is a relationship with God. If they could have that relationship with God, they would, but they don't, and so they fill that space up with other things. That's Naaman. And yet in the course of this story about Naaman, we find that this man moves from this place of being a leper without God to being a man healed and with God. And it's all because people in his life took the time and took the chance to share their faith with him. And that's what I want to do this morning with us for a little while, is I just want us to see how this man, Naaman, this celebrated general, who's also a leper, comes to faith in God. Now, the Arameans had gone out in bands, verse 2, had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. So here's this first person that comes into Naaman's life. Now, this little girl is really interesting to me, and she should be interesting to all of us. She's an Israelite. She had been taken captive, probably by Naaman's army. They'd probably come into Israel. They'd probably wiped out that village, probably killed her family or many of her family, and carried her off into captivity and made her the slave of the wife of the general of the army that conquered her village. Now, I don't know that I'd be quite as gracious toward Naaman as this little girl is being, right? I might just think to myself, (laughs) serves him right. He's getting what's coming to him. I'll watch that leprosy eat him away until the day he dies. And I'll dance on his grave. Sometimes I, 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 th- I think that we as Christians have too much of that judgmental attitude today. We see the world falling apart around us. We see what's happening in our schools oftentimes. We see what we have to put up with at work. We see all these different incursions into our faith. We see Christianity under attack. And all we can do is simply call down the judgment of God and wait for God to send his judgment because we know they deserve it. And we come to church and we shut ourselves in and we say, come Lord Jesus. And aren't you glad that everybody didn't do that with you until you became a Christian? I'm so glad people didn't do that with me. I was one messed up kid. I didn't come to faith in Jesus until I was 22. 
I grew up in New Orleans in the party scene. I was not your typical candidate for salvation when I was saved. And this little girl does the exact opposite that you would expect. She doesn't hold this thing that she knows this man needs. She isn't waiting for the judgment of God to fall because he deserves the judgment. Instead, her heart is broken for his need, and she tells Naaman's wife that she knows where he can get help. She begins this seed planting. She begins it with Naaman's wife. Naaman's wife ends up telling Naaman. And she says, you need to go find some help. So Naaman goes in and he tells his master, verse 4, thus and thus spoke the girl is from the land of Israel. So Naaman says, you know what? What have I got to lose? (laughs) I'm a leper, man. You know what? I'm a leper. I need some help here. I'll go wherever it is I can find some help. And he goes in and tells his boss, who's the king of Aram, I'm told there's some help in Israel. So the king of Aram says, go, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10, um, um, 10 changes of clothes, all these things of great wealth. And he sends him down to the king. He brings the letter to the king of Israel, and he says, Now as this letter comes to you, behold, I've sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now notice the faulty thinking here. Naaman has leprosy. He's told there's a prophet in Israel who can cure him of his leprosy. He goes to the king, and the king sends him to the king of Israel. How typical, trying to find political solutions for spiritual problems. Is this not us today? Looking to government to solve our problems when in reality our problems are spiritual? Our social problems are just symptoms of the real problem, which is spiritual. Now, don't get me wrong. I spent 20 years in public policy. I came here from Washington, D.C. I believe in the church's engagement in public policy. I did it for 20 years. I've counseled sitting presidents. I've been in the Oval Office. I've sat with congressmen. I've sat with senators. I've helped write bills. I've helped stop bills from passing. We need to be involved in public policy. But folks, we cannot expect government to solve the problems that are at the heart of our nation's struggle because those problems are spiritual in nature and can only be solved by the involvement of God in the lives of our people. And that can only happen as we lead them to faith in Christ. Now that takes some work. It takes a process, as we see here, of planting and watering. And maybe many of us will have to come along before the people that we know and the people around us and the people we desperately want to see come to faith in Christ before they're finally saved. That was me. That was 
most likely you. And then I remember one time, I was, uh, I was hitchhiking from New Orleans to Slidell, going across Lake Pontchartrain. Lake Pontchartrain is that lake the levees broke and, and flooded New Orleans. Well, I grew up in one of those areas in New Orleans that was flooded. It's still trying to recover after all these years. It's the middle of the night, man. I got my thumb stuck out. And I'm basically, I'm, I'm saying to myself, just anybody stop. Anybody. And I, I was committed. Next car that stops, first car that stops, I'm in it. So, eventually a car stops. I got a picture up here, up here of the kind of car that stopped if, it's, uh, if the slide will come up. Anybody recognize that? Everybody in the 8 o'clock service knew what that was. Good for you. That's a Ford Pinto. A Ford Pinto stops on I-10 on the way over to Slidell. I run to the car. They throw open the door. There's three guys in this car, and already it's crowded, right? I mean, you're talking about a Ford Pinto. It's a two-door car, and, I mean, there was... There was a back seat, but that didn't really mean they intended anybody to sit in it. So I get in this car, and I squeeze into the back seat, and I'm in there. And lo and behold, I find out I've gotten in a Ford Pinto with three Baptist preachers. <laughs> this is the honest truth. We have a seminary in New Orleans, and they'd just been at something at the seminary, and they were on their way back across the lake to go to their houses they had me captive for 40 minutes as they played tag team on Barrett Duke. You know, every one of them had their pitch. Every one of them had their pro approach. Every one of them did everything they could to get me to finally break and say, yes, I need Jesus as my Savior. I held out, man. I was, I was strong. They didn't win me to faith. And I was getting out of the car. Uh, one of them said, Barrett, you know, uh, we understand you're just not ready now. Um, uh, we trust that you will be someday. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Can we pray for you? I said, sure. i would take all the prayer I can get. They prayed for me and sent me on my way. You know, I didn't come to faith in Jesus then, but you know what? Forty years later, I still remember that. Forty years later, I still remember being so so stoned I couldn't even stand up in Mardi Gras and a man sitting down next to me trying to tell me about Jesus. People chipping away, chipping away, just pouring on, pouring on until finally it's all there. So he comes down to the king of Israel. The king of Israel doesn't know what to do. Verse 8, it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes because he didn't know what to do, that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. See, Elisha was still involved. Elijah wasn't just hanging out and hiding out. He was still paying attention to what was happening around him. And he makes himself available at this moment, at this time for this man's life. But notice, verse 10, Elijah sends his messenger to him. Elijah doesn't go, he sends a messenger. Notice a trend here so far? Notice a trend that's going on as we go through this? We don't know the names of any of these people that interact with Naaman. We don't know the name of the servant girl. We don't know the name of Naaman's wife. 
Now we don't know the name of the messenger that Elisha sent. None of the people that interact with Naaman along this journey, this journey of faith for him, are named. That's deliberate, I think, because God wants us to understand that it's not so much the person that delivers the message as it is that the message is delivered. We all play a part in that. It's not about us. It's not about our fame. It's not about our embarrassment. It's not about our fear. It's about whether or not we will take the message to those who need desperately to hear it. Pastor Danny touched on this last week as well. All the unnamed people in people's lives, all just sharing that same message. So the messenger comes along, and he says to him what? He says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. Simple enough. Just like the gospel, right? Simple enough. Jesus died for your sin. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin. Receive him as Savior and Lord, and you'll be forgiven of your sin. God will come into your life, and you'll finally have peace. And everybody says, golly, that's just that's too simple. Well, to a degree it's simple, but notice what happens. Verse 11, Naaman was furious, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he'd surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not go wash and be clean of them? His pride gets in the way, right? Pride. Golly, how many people has pride kept out of the kingdom of God? I remember another time I was, God was just really dealing in my life again and, and I went home on this particular Sunday of all things and I was talking to my parents and my sister was there about just how empty my life seemed and how meaningless it seemed and my sister said to me, she said, Barrett, all you need is God. If you had God in your life, you wouldn't be feeling like this. And I didn't even know where it came from. I looked right at her, right in her face and said, Kathy... I don't need to humble myself like this, like that. I can take care of this myself. I didn't realize that pride was the problem here, but it was. I was going to solve my problems myself. And a lot of people at this point might walk away from this fellow. They might say, oh, man, you know what? This guy is beyond the pale. I'm moving on to somebody else. This guy is too hard. Then notice what happens. The servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you some great thing to do, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? Some last people in Naaman's life decide that they will invest a little bit more time, make themselves a little bit more vulnerable in the life of a man who seemed to be completely closed. And if it hadn't been for these people, this story would end much differently. There might be somebody in your life right now, if it weren't for you sharing with them one more time, their eternity will turn out much differently. So finally he responds, well, well, all right, what do I have to lose? He goes down, dips himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Just one more time. 
one more time. And that was what it took. He had to do it according to God's design. This was how God said to do it. There is no other way to do it. And I'm a little concerned about Christians today. That we've just been around too many people with, in other faith traditions, and we see them living you know, pretty good lives, and we see them pretty happy. And we're beginning to wonder if maybe there is more than one way to faith. Maybe there is more than one way to heaven. But Scripture makes it clear. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to peace with God. Jesus died for your sin. Through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sin. Through that faith in Jesus, God will come into your life and give you eternal life, and you'll be his forever. There is no other way to God. It doesn't matter whether or not people look like they're happy, whether or not people look like they have their lives put together. Until they trust Christ as Savior, they do not have God in their lives. And so this man is cured of his leprosy, but notice That's just dealing with the outward symptom. This man becomes a believer. Notice what happens in verse 17. He says, Your servant will no longer offer burnt offering nor sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. This man becomes a believer as God heals his leprosy, God also restores his soul. How like that today. This is where God invites us into his plan for everyone, everyone you know. Some of you plant, some of you water, and you chip away and you chip away with the truth. And you build that in and you build that into that person's life until that day The truth is there when the Spirit of God brings conviction and they're saved. What happens if all that's there is the conviction and no truth? That person is miserable. The truth must be there when the conviction comes. And God has entered into this partnership with us to lead people to faith in the same way today. So what are some takeaways here? I have a few takeaways uh, for you. First, Without God, whatever we have isn't enough. You may be here today. You've got all kinds of accomplishments. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You don't have God in your life. You know you don't have enough. You're still trying to fill that one last thing. True leprosy is unforgiven sin. Without Christ as our Savior, we're all spiritual lepers, and we're all dying from that disease. Every person is a spiritual leper without God's healing grace. God works through his people. As he did then, he does today. Paul confirmed it for us. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. We can do a lot just by talking to the people we know. Oh, it takes a lot of people to bring one person to faith. Pastor Paul and I were in the back talking. Um, The statistic is something like it takes at least seven times for somebody to hear the gospel before they're saved. For so much more. We can do it a lot just by talking to the people we know. We each have an important part to play in evangelism. Every person in the story about Naaman had a part to play that got him a little further down the road. Every one of these people was crucial in him finally coming to faith. Are we going to be that strong link in that chain in somebody else's life to get them a little closer to the gospel. Finally, people must respond to what they're told. 
That's right. There is a personal part in this. There is a time when that person must respond. And there's a time today, perhaps, when you must respond. You've heard. God has shown you your sin. All those pieces are together. Now you must respond, and you must trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you will come to know the same God that I came to know through faith in Jesus. You will come to know the same God that you're longing to know. You must now today respond to that. I pray you'll not leave this place without trusting Christ as your Savior. I pray today that that person that God just put on your heart today, you'll go to that person and you'll share one more time. And if we will all do that, we will all do our part and we will tell them and we will tell them and we will tell them again, we will see more people come to faith in Jesus. That's the part that God has called us to do. If we will do our part, God's ready to do his part. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this clear teaching from your word. Thank you for calling us into partnership in this most important of all endeavors, seeing the lost come to faith, changing eternity one soul at a time. May you help us each do our part in this great plan that you have for winning the lost to faith. I trust you will do that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 10 is what the Lord brought to my mind as our brother was sharing God's word with us. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But... How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him if they've never heard? And how will they hear without someone telling them? This is what Dr. Duke has just encouraged us with the word. It's you and, it's you and me. It's, it's our job to share our faith. And when we do that, you're always successful. Because you don't know where you are in line. You don't know if you're the one planting a seed or watering or fertilizing. You're somewhere in that process. But God's the one who gives the increase. for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.